0: Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director.
1: Shalom, friends, and welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program. We're so excited to be here again with you. Thank you for inviting us into your home or your car or wherever you are listening. And uh, with me is Bobby Walter, our Regional Director for the New York area, and also one of our pastors at our Messianic Congregation in the heart of Orthodox Jewish Brooklyn. So
2: welcome, Bobby. Yes, thank you, Mitch, shalom, and uh, shalom to all of our listeners out there. We uh, are very excited about this topic, aren't we, Mitch?
1: Yes. We've been in this series, haven't we?
2: We have. We have. And we've been talking about messianic prophecy and just really this idea that we like to call promise and fulfillment. Right. Uh, we, we've looked at certain passages in the Tanakh or the Old Testament that pointed ahead to different aspects of the person and ministry and nature and identity of Jesus. Uh, we've talked about his humanity. We've touched on his deity. And Mitch, I think we're going to sort of pick up where we left off in Matthew's
1: Gospel. So we're gonna begin uh, in Matthew chapter two with the visit of the wise men. uh, And that's gonna drive us back to one of the really key prophecies uh, about the Messiah. But we're gonna sort of focus at this point not only on where he would be born, uh, but we're gonna focus on why he was born there. And what else uh, gives us a hint about his eternal character in the very text that Matthew uses uh, to tell us where he would be born. So I'm reading in verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They said, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it arose and have come to worship him. that's, by the way, an embedded prophecy uh, in this text from the book of Numbers. Right. Numbers 24. That's right. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, that's what we call the Sanhedrin, he inquired of them where the Christ, or where the Messiah was to be born. And so these sages of the day who knew their Hebrew scriptures quite well, told Herod in verse five, in Bethlehem of Judea, that's where the Hebrew scriptures said Messiah would be born and then It's quoted by Matthew and so it is written by the prophet and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah from you will come a ruler in Israel who will shepherd my people Israel now that's an interesting uh, interpretation uh, on the part of Matthew and uh, he actually gives a translation plus a very Jewish interpretation Mm -hmm. Uh, but let's start from the beginning of the prophecy And you owe Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is, of course, a modern city in Israel. There were two Bethlehems at that time, one in the north, one in the south. The one in the south in Judah was about five miles away from the heart of the old city. Uh, You can take the Bethlehem Road today and go to Bethlehem. Uh, You'll have to uh, go through some screening before you get in there. Uh, It's interesting, Bethlehem was traditionally Christian Arabs, but today it's probably only left with about 20, 25% Christian Arabs because it's become such a Muslim uh, dominated uh, community. And so, but you can still get in there, but it's gonna take you a little bit of time. It's interesting that the word Bethlehem uh, is actually made up of two words, like so many Hebrew compound words, and it's Beit, house, Lechem, bread. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is the house of bread takes on some implications when we think about uh, Jesus. So, you, house of bread in the land of Judah, so the prophet was specifying which Bethlehem it was, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. So, this is very important because of Genesis 49.10. In Genesis 49.10, we have another key messianic prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so, on Jacob's deathbed, he gave a prophecy about the future ruler in Israel and said that that ruler would come from the tribe of Judah. So now we've got everything lining up. So we've got the house of bread, Bethlehem, which was a city in the territory of Judah. So now we're going to be talking about a ruler in Israel who was born in the right place and came from the right tribe. (laughs) Right. And
2: on top of it, I think we can point out the connections between King David and Bethlehem.
1: I mean, this right. is, uh, th- there's a lot going on here. There's, there's so many moving parts, you know? Right. And f- so from you, one will come forth to be a ruler in Israel. And here's where there's um, not a disagreement, but a summary by uh, Matthew that is not exact in terms of uh, what is written in the Old Testament. We have to recognize that, and that's the way it goes. He's right in that he— the shepherd is people is one interpretation of the word which is usually translated ruler okay but he leaves out part of the passage yeah (laughs) and that's the important part and so we know that the word shepherd or ruler that's that's okay but why he left out the rest of it um bobby's an expert on matthew he'll he'll talk about (laughs) that and let us know why that why that happened you know um, because it is in the Greek translation, the Septuagint of the Old Testament, so it's there, which some claim that Matthew is using. But let me, let me read it to you from the good old American st- New American Standard. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah. Okay, so we know that there was a, a little bit of a, of a change there because yeah. it's Ephratah, which of course is the, in the territory of Judah. Too little to be among the clans of Judah, the prophet says from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And now in verse two, we have exactly what we want to talk about. His goings forth are from long ago and from the days of eternity. The Hebrew word long ago is kadem. The word for days of eternity is Yom Olam. So it's the days of eternity. Mm-hmm. Now, this is important because when the Hebrew word Kedem, meaning old, The old paths and so on. When Kedem is used with Olam, it usually refers to God Himself in the Old Testament. Right. Almost every time. Right. And so what the prophet is proclaiming here is a little subtle, but it's very obvious. And that is, we were expecting that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah and from the territory, therefore, of Judah, therefore, a descendant of David therefore the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7 about reigning eternally on the throne of David, which we've discussed earlier. But what he's not saying, which is in the original text and for some reason did not repeat, is that this one, this ruler, this shepherd would not only be a Jewish person, but he will have everlasting origins. He will be from of old, from everlasting. In other words, God himself will take on flesh and become a son of David king in Israel. And that's why he's born in Bethlehem, which, as Bobby mentioned earlier, is the historic home of King David and his family. And so this is exactly the right place to be born, and he's exactly exactly has the right character because he's not just a Davidic ruler, he's not just a son of David, he's not just from the tribe of Judah, he is God in the flesh. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly, Mitch. And, you know, one thing I love about uh, Matthew's use of the Old Testament here, we do have to understand, you know, and sometimes this is a challenge for us, we do have to understand that he's not giving us a direct word for word quote, not just in this instant, but in other examples as well.
1: Um, and he's doing Wait a minute. This uh, do you mean to tell me that Matthew did not have the Hebrew scriptures on his phone? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I hate to be the one to break it to you. I mean, but I, I can't believe that.
2: Yeah, he never downloaded the app. I don't know, you know.
1: My gosh. <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah, and, but, but, uh, and he never carried around the scrolls, huh? No, no. In fact, and, nobody was able to do that. Uh, the scrolls were kept in the in the synagogues.
1: And he didn't grab a copy of the Septuagint out of the Alexandrian library, which weighed, you know, like 100 pounds, and carry it around, huh? Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So so how did they, Bobby, how did they know what was in the Bible? Wasn't it from hearing it? Yes. So that
2: was a a huge part of it uh, back then was every time there would be a synagogue service, the epicenter of the service was the public reading of the scriptures so the word would be proclaimed and read from the scrolls and everyone would hear and listen and then commit it to memory and this was part of the education system at that time uh, right. so they use their memories
1: you know in, in far greater ways than we do today yeah it's interesting when jesus got up in luke 4 in the synagogue mm-hmm. that he actually read from the scroll right And but what's interesting in that passage is Jesus stops in the middle of a verse, yeah, (laughs) and and divides the first coming with the second coming, right. So, uh, I'm just trying to suggest that this was not inappropriate in terms of the way Matthew would present God's truth from the Old Testament. If Jesus himself left out the a verse, it's it's okay for Matthew to do it, but it doesn't change. The inherent nature or the inspiration of the fullness of that passage, and why he left it out, we we don't know, yeah. but we do know that it's there, and that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that passage. I, I'll make one
2: suggestion on why he may have left out that last part of the prophecy from Micah five two, and that is because, uh, well, first of all, when New Testament authors will quote. Uh, something from the Tanakh, from the Old Testament. The implication is that our minds will go back to that Old Testament prophecy and look at the broader context and take everything into consideration. That's literally what their audience at that I, time would have done. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But the part of the reason I think Matthew may have left that part out uh, is because he's recording this prophecy being shared coming from the mouth of the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and the leaders in Israel. And later on, it's almost like thematic in Matthew, where there's this tension that exists
1: between these very chief priests and elders and experts in the Word. So, you're saying it might have been intentional that the chief priests and elders left that part out because it was such a hot issue in the New Testament period. Correct, oh, and and
2: later on in Matthew's Gospel, it becomes the point of contention with their interactions with Yeshua.
1: Thank you, Bobby. You know, doing this radio program is, it teaches me a lot. You know, and, me too, uh, <laughs> Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've never thought of it that way. That's 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 really interesting. So again, we'll check with Matthew when we see him. But the 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 point here, of course is that the deity of Jesus should not have surprised the Jewish people. It was predicted in the Old Testament. The Messiah ultimately would wrap up all, the prophet, prof, all, the, all of these prophecies in one person. In fact, he would wrap up all of the messianic offices, the anointed offices in Israel. He would be prophet, priest, and king. And so we understand that all of the Old Testament points to the Messiah. The real divide is who is the Messiah. The second divide is, but what about those prophecies about him being God in the flesh? That's something that most Jewish people would not accept. And so, when you do present this to a Jewish friend or family member, you know, there might be a little bit of pushback. But there are some Jewish people, like myself, who read it and said, oh my gosh, we were wrong. He really is God in the flesh. And that's what actually motivated me to cross the line and accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord.
0: New York City, home to an estimated 1.6 million Jewish people. At Chosen People Ministries, we gather believers from all over the country every summer to proclaim the good news of Jesus the Messiah to Jewish people all around the city. We engage in street outreach and follow-up. We also invite our volunteers to a special Jewish cultural day, Sabbath dinner celebration, and more. If you have a heart for the Jewish people and love to talk about Jesus, visit ChosenPeople.com slash ShalomNewYork to find out more. That's ChosenPeople.com slash ShalomNewYork. We hope to see you this summer.
1: Shalom friends, this is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second generation young adults, and we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip, but I know that you'll wanna be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel.
0: To learn more about this new, exciting project, visit ChosenPeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's ChosenPeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. Here at Chosen People Ministries, we hear from a lot of Jewish people who have found the Messiah. And right now, we'd like to share one of those stories with you.
3: My grandparents are Holocaust survivors from Germany. My grandfather was a survivor, and he was also a liberator. He liberated Dachau, seeking justice for Nazi war crimes. I grew up in a Messianic Jewish home. For me, it was always very important to be Jewish. It was always very important to follow Jesus, I mean we call him Yeshua when I was growing up. Being a good Jew is you follow the Messiah of Israel and you do what he says you're supposed to do. The thing that's always struck me about Jesus is like how down in the dirt he was in his life. You think about a Messiah who comes and we expect him to be this like big political figure and he's gonna, you know, defeat our enemies and he's going to bring peace. And instead what the Messiah does is like get down in the dirt and heal people's broken bodies. He was always concerned, like fundamentally, with people who had no money and no power. And I was always inspired by his example. I was also interested in, in pursuing justice. I was also interested in going after big bullies as a lawyer. By practicing law on behalf of people who have no money, who have no power, who are in situations where they're being abused. That's what I can do. I went to Thailand and uh, got drawn to an organization that was working on the human trafficking issue. So I was working with these social workers and investigators who were looking into cases of human trafficking. So what I ended up doing for months and months was just like sitting in a dark room looking at this like revolting footage of children being sold for sex in brothels to bring some measure of justice to the situation. I was just amazed to find that like this was something that I had a capacity for um, and it was something that would get me out of bed in the morning and it was something that it, it was something meaningful. When your life is going really well and like you're making lots of money and your career is flying high and you're in a great relationship and you know everything's good, like you don't need God. What, what do you need God for? Like, oh, I I did all that. Like, I'm so smart and special, I did it. That's kind of the attitude that I had developed. I was so excited to be a mom and I hated being pregnant and I wanted him out of me. Got to the hospital, everything seemed to be going fine and I turned over and like started to fall asleep. And the next thing I knew, the room was filling up with nurses. They're coming in and like stabbing me in the thighs and i um, trying to get my son's heart rate back up because his heart had stopped. And I started shaking from the medicine that they were giving me and they're they're taking apart the bed and they're shoving me down the hall. Within like 15 seconds, somebody hit a button on the wall and I heard on the intercom, code C, what just happened? Looking up at the, the technician who had this like, put this mask on my face and I said, please just save my baby, please just save my baby. Boom, I was out. And then the next moment I wake up and they're like, congratulations, you're a mom. I see his little hands, you know, reaching out of the the little plastic, you know, crib. And um, I didn't even see his face and I fell in love with him. And then immediately they start telling me everything that's wrong with him. Someone said the word genetic disorder. And so the next week, recovering from a C-section, separated from my baby, Um, wondering if he was gonna be okay, feeling just completely useless. And uh, a nurse came in probably two days after he was born and she was just coming in to like take my temperature and blood pressure and she's like, how are you? And I just like burst into tears. She said, it's gonna be okay. I said, I don't think it's gonna be okay. I think something's really wrong with him. And and I felt I was at the, one of the darkest moments of my life. I felt so helpless and I cried out to God. And I was like, God, what are you doing? Why did this happen to me? Where are you? I just had the feeling of almost like someone putting their hand on my shoulder. Just like this comforting, like, I'm here. Like This sucks and it hurts and I'm here. I remember going to see him in the NICU and he's in this little incubator and he had all these like wires and sensors and he had an, an IV in his arm and he was like tiny and gray and shriveled. He was looked like a wrinkly old man and he was having it was like seeing him breathe I could see his chest move and I felt so helpless before I had my son I kind of thought of myself as like a Wonder Woman. Like, oh, there's nothing I can't do, women rock. Like, everything is just a challenge, an obstacle to be overcome. And when I had my son, I realized like, I'm not in control. I'm not in control of my body. I'm not in control of what's happening with my child. This is all an illusion that I have control over really like anything. Like fundamentally, like I'm gonna have to depend on God. I literally, like God gave me this child and he came out of me and I like had to give him right back and be like, here you go, keep him alive because I can't. You realize like, I, I literally can't even get it from one minute to the next without God's help. Five days later, I got to leave the hospital with him like in my arms and put this tiny little person in the car seat and, you know, and go home. Thank God everything actually turned out to be okay. Every little issue that my son had, it all cleared up, you know, in the space of that week. I have felt in times of immense sorrow and struggle and suffering, God was there. When people are going through the most horrific trauma in their lives, God is there.
2: You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. And we want to thank you so much for joining us today. And Mitch, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's happening this summer with Chosen People?
1: Well, it's exciting, Bobby. You know, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And what better place to practice that passage of Scripture than in New York City, where you don't have to go looking too hard for the Jewish people to be first. We have 2 million Jewish people in New York City, and you will have the opportunity this summer to join us in bringing the gospel to the Jewish people first, and also to the Gentiles. And usually every summer we actually lead more Gentiles to the Lord than Jewish people. And, and that's, that's our joy. So Shalom New York is sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. We've been doing this for many, many years. The dates are July 29th through August 5th. That's July 29th through August 5th. And so we will take the opportunity to bring people in from all over the United States and all over the world and we'll have some great fellowship, great worship, even great food, bagels, pizza for everybody. You know, we're going to have a a wonderful time, uh, but we're going to focus on bringing the gospel on the streets, in the parks, and all over uh, New York City to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. So come. There's no age limit. Uh, If you're under 18, come with a parent. Just bring them along. But there's no age limit. There's going to be something for everybody to do and uh, we'll try and use your spiritual gifts the best we can as we find them out as quickly quickly as we can. And so it's going to be a wonderful time. So come to Shalom, New York, and you can find out all about it on our website. And when you reach out today,
2: be sure to ask for our latest resource on Israel called The People, The Land, and the Future of Israel. It's free and available right now on DVD or as a digital download. So call us today. The number to dial is 888 888- 293-7482. That's eight 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 two 2 yeshua the Hebrew name for Jesus. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. Adonai ya er Adonai
1: of peace.